Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and today we have an extremely special episode with the one and only Dr. Mark Hyman. Mark Hyman is one of the foremost experts in functional medicine, which really takes a sort of a traditional approach in terms of the training that most Western doctors uh, receive, but also looks at the precursors uh, to disease and really takes a preventative approach to a great many of the diseases that, that befall us. I met Dr. Hyman because, really, frankly, I, I sought him out. Um, many of you may know, or some of you may not, um, Peak Mind really started for me out of a desire to help my father who was diagnosed with dementia. And so I went very, very deep down the rabbit hole into our brains um, and realized that we are on the verge of, a, of, of frankly, an epidemic globally. Um, they're calling dementia now diabetes of the brain. And about half the U.S. population is pre-diabetic. About half the Chinese population is pre-diabetic. We have a whole new onslaught of diseases that are based on our Western lifestyle. And when I met Dr. Hyman, it was like finding the key to a lock. He's extraordinarily knowledgeable about these issues. And this episode will really serve a great many of you. If you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with fatigue, um, Dr. Hyman, which was profoundly helpful for me, I had no idea I was dealing with mold. And his experience and exposure to mold wound up being... Uh, hugely beneficial to me because he gave me a whole protocol around how to abate the mold. But, you know, heavy metal exposure, mold, all these things, our diets, all these things have an impact on our brain. And our brain is obviously, uh, the health of our brain is obviously integral to the quality of our life. And I've seen that on a, a profoundly personal level with my father and watching a man whom I love deeply slowly deteriorate cognitively as a result of dementia. And so one of the things I realized in my research is that the symptoms for dementia actually start 30 years before uh, before you actually have your first symptoms. So, so in other words, within, within our bodies, we start to have some of the symptoms of dementia way before we actually recognize it. You know, that can show up as, you know, simple things like forgetting things, forgetting our keys, forgetting where we put our keys, um, forgetting names. And what he does is even if you have, for example, a genetic predisposition uh, towards, you know, certain uh, brain ailments, there's epigenetic things you can do in your lifestyle to prevent from getting certain diseases. So, you know, perhaps a crass analogy, but even if you had, for example, a loaded gun does not mean that you have to pull the trigger. And so there's so many insights. I can't even go into how rich and meaningful this conversation and the research that proceeded from this conversation has been in terms of meaning to my own life. But my hope is that it's profoundly meaningful to you and yours. And there's a really special opportunity. Um, Dr. Hyman is um, about to launch a series called Broken Brain. And I watched this series and gifted it to my mother. 
and it was one of the most profoundly informative series I've ever had the privilege of watching. It's also totally free, and I'm going to link it up in the show notes with a hyperlink where you can go and register. Um, it starts in uh, on Wednesday, the 3rd of April, but um, I could not recommend the series more. Please um, take some time. Go ahead and click the link below and register. It is chock full of information from over 70 of the foremost authorities on the brain, on health, and on how to help you optimize your brain and prevent from unnecessary disease uh, and disorder. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Mark Hyman. I am here. I'm absolutely honored uh, with Dr. Mark Hyman. Dr. Hyman is a multiple New York Times bestselling author and a pioneer in the field of functional medicine. Mm -hmm. It's an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure. So, I kind of want. I've been, I've been researching uh, brain health, researching the mind for the last two years religiously, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. since my my father was diagnosed with uh, dementia, and your work kept coming up and. Mm -hmm you're really leading the charge in a revolutionary new form of medicine, uh, functional medicine. Yeah. And, and I'd love for you to just give um, some of the viewers context into what functional medicine is. Sure. You know, I mean, this all started actually when I got really ill. Mm. Um, and essentially my brain broke. <laughs> I went from being able to see 30 patients in a day, not take notes and dictate every chart perfectly at the end of the day, to not even knowing where I was at the end of a sentence from where I started. Wow. And I couldn't focus, I couldn't remember, and I was depressed. It was like I had depression, ADD, and dementia all at once. And I knew it was biological. Yeah, um, yeah I had stresses, but uh, the answers that conventional medicine gave me were really inadequate uh, and were symptomatic and didn't deal with the root cause of why my brain wasn't all of a sudden working. And in the process of uncovering the root of my problem, I encountered a whole field of study called functional medicine, which is really just medicine. You know, it takes decades from scientific discoveries to be applied to clinical medicine. Functional medicine just accelerates that gap by bringing in a methodology of treating the body as a system rather than treating symptoms or organs, we treat the system and the organism, right? Rather than medicine by symptom, it's medicine by cause. I think of myself sort of as a soil farmer, an organic soil farmer that creates a healthy soil out of which healthy plants grow instead of an organic, instead of an industrial agriculturalist that yeah. pours chemicals and fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides on the plants to get them to be right. functioning. You're creating right? a healthy ecosystem. Creating a healthy ecosystem. And as a side effect, disease goes away. So in my own brain function, it turned out it was really from a multitude of factors, including uh, mercury poisoning yeah. and some intestinal infections that I developed traveling. And those all started to create this spiral of dysfunction. And So it wasn't one 
So I think a lot of times yeah. people try to pinpoint it's one organ or no. it's one thing, but you no. realize it was actually a combination of right. both. Yeah. Right, right. So, so we're very good at what I call naming and blaming mm. in medicine. I call it the name it, blame it, and tame it game. Yeah. We name the disease, then we blame the name for the problem, and then we tame it with a drug. Right? <laughs> so yeah. you say, well, I come to the doctor, and I'm hopeless and helpless, and I have no interest in sex, and I'm not interested in eating, and I can't sleep, and I feel you know, suicidal thoughts jump in my mind, and the doctor goes, well, I know what's wrong with you. You have depression. That's the cause of your symptoms. It's not the cause of the symptoms. It's the name of the symptoms. Right. And then they go, well, I know what you need. You need an antidepressant, Right. But depression is not a Prozac deficiency. Sure. Right? There's something else going on. So from a functional medicine perspective, we go, why? It's the medicine of why, not what. What disease do you have? What drug do I give? It's why is this happening? What is the underlying cause? How do I create balance in the system? So for depression, it could be because you're eating gluten and have developed an autoimmunity to your thyroid, causing low thyroid function. Or that the gluten may be inflaming your brain, because we now know that depression is an inflammatory disease of the brain. Right. Just like Alzheimer's, just like autism. And then it could be because you've been taking an acid blocker for indigestion for years because your diet's bad, or you have a bacteria growing in your stomach, and that causes B12 deficiency because the acid is required to absorb B12. My dad took Tums every day for years, right. years and years of his life, yeah. Or it could be because you have vitamin D deficiency because you live and work inside, or because you've taken antibiotics that alter your gut flora, because you eat tons of sushi and have mercury poisoning, or hate fish and have omega-3 deficiency, or because you eat a lot of sugar and have... Prediabetes, all those things can cause depression. So given our current roadmap, we can't figure that out in conventional medicine. Right. So functional medicine is the roadmap to understand how to look at what causes imbalance, what creates balance in the body, and provide those things that support health and remove those things that impede health. And it's, it's a really powerful system, and whether it's dementia, and the same thing with dementia. There's no such thing as dementia. There are dementias. There are many reasons. You know, the, there's multiple causes for any condition. Now, there's been, I think, about $2 billion spent on over 280 studies trying to find the cure for dementia, and all of them have failed miserably. Why? Because it's not one thing. It's not one pathway. It's not one drug. It's not one mechanism. It's a multitude of things that go wrong that have to all be corrected, including your nutritional status, your hormonal balance, your level of toxicity and toxins in your body, yes. your gut flora, uh, your immune system, inflammation, infections, all these things have to be addressed in order for you to function properly. So for someone who may be, may be listening that is in Wichita, Kansas, or... Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. if, if they're in Cleveland, they're in luck because they can come see you. But if, if, if someone were, you know, say, okay, wow, that's, that's, an, that's incredible, my mind is blown, which I think mm. many people will, mm-hmm. what, what do you do next? Like, how do you, how do you start to take on your, your health in a mm-hmm. proactive way, and mm-hmm. where can you find access to this, to either a functional medicine doctor or someone right. who can support you in? in well, the, the beautiful thing about our human biology is that it's resilient. Yeah. And it's quickly responding to changes in inputs. Yeah. And... Most of the things that we use in functional medicine do not require a doctor. It's what you eat, it's how you move, it's how you deal with stress, it's how you sleep, it's how you create your environment, it's how you deal with toxic burden. And yeah, there are things that often require medical care, but most of the problems for most people don't actually require a doctor, which is quite amazing. So if you understand 
the rule book of how your body works. I mean, how many of us were given a little operating manual? Right. Right. So, oh, here it is. So I'm, it's on my leg. I'm going to take it off and we'll read the, the manual. And when I came out of the womb, there it was. Here's how do you create a healthy human. Yes. You know, that would have been I, probably more helpful to me than algebra. Yes, I would, I would like that operating you know, manual. We, we don't have that. Yeah. And uh, functional medicine is that operating manual. And it's, we're still learning. We're still evolving. We're still understanding. But we now know how to optimize the various systems of the body. So the body is a biological network. Mm. And it's dynamically interacting and responding all the time to the environment. And there are certain nodes in the network. Your gut and microflora and your gut, your immune system, how you make energy from food and oxygen, how you process toxins, biotransformation, detoxification, communication, how your body communicates, hormones, neurotransmitters, cytokines, structural system, how your body is built from what it's built, from the biomechanical structure to the cellular structure to your cell membranes. And then all that's influenced by your thoughts and your emotions, your beliefs, your social networks. All those things are driven by things that you can influence, right? So yes. those systems it get in or out of balance by inputs from the environment, whether it's toxins, microbes, allergens, stress, or poor diet. And they're optimized by things that help create health. And it's, it's not rocket science. It's the real food, right? Mm-hmm. Not food-like substances that we're eating today. Right. It's the right nutrients. It's the right balance of hormones. It's light. It's air. It's water. It's movement. It's sleep. It's rhythm. It's connection. It's love. It's meaning, purpose. Those are the ingredients for creating a healthy human. Yes. Right? And so if you, if you just look at what you have too much of that your body doesn't like, and not enough of that your body needs to thrive, and you simply address those issues, health happens. Yeah. You know, disease goes away as a side effect of creating health. I don't actually treat disease. I create health, and I see where there's deviations from health. So we see health as a spectrum. Like it's not on or off. It's a continuum from optimal function all the way through mild dysfunction, pre-symptomatic, mm-hmm. all the way through to full-blown diagnosable disease and death. So let's take dementia or Alzheimer's, right? Please. The ultimate brain dysfunction. You know, we now know through PET scans and spinal fluid analysis, we can detect changes right, that occur decades, two, three, four decades before the first thing you remember goes away. Yeah, the second onset goes away. 30 years before you see first symptoms. That's right. I mean, before you forget your keys for the first time, where they are, you can detect these changes that are happening biologically. So then the question is, well, how do you intervene there? I mean, if you've already damaged your brain so much, right? If, right. if you get hit by a car, I can't protect your bones, right? Right. If your heart is damaged by a massive heart attack, you need a heart transplant. But if you can get it early enough, you can actually start to reverse that process. And we see this. What are the key ways? I mean, so many questions, but what are the key ways? Like, what would you say? You mentioned probably 10 or 12 things that are really pillars in, in an overall mm-hmm. uh, healthy way of being. Mm-hmm. But if you were to, say, start with two or three that you think are, are most foundational on sleep yeah. or what yeah. I, I think I be? think, you know, most of us think of food as energy. Yeah. Right? It's calories. It's fueling our body. It's keep us going. We eat when we're hungry. And we don't think much more about it. We don't want to lose or gain weight. But basically, it's just energy. Yes. The biggest single discovery, I think, in the last... 50 years has been the concept that food is information, Mm. that it's not just calories, that it's instructions, that every bite informs every biological function you have. With literally every bite, you alter your gene expression. 
turn on and off genes that create healthy disease. You alter your hormonal balance, whether it's cortisol or insulin or your sex hormones or your growth hormone. All are influenced by what you're eating. It influences your immune system, whether it supports it or hurts it, whether it regulates the balance of cytokines that create inflammation or cools them off. It literally, every bite changes the 10, 100 trillion microbes in your gut. You literally change your gut flora with every bite. So the whole microbiome, which now is connected to everything from Alzheimer's to cancer to heart disease to diabetes to depression to obesity, all is influenced by what you eat. And so when you think, gee, food is not just energy, but it regulates genes and hormones and cytokines and gut flora and your metabolism and everything that's going on with you all the time, then it changes your relationship to what you're eating. Am I putting in good information and upgrading my biological software, or am I putting in bad information and putting a vi- literally a bug and a virus in my biological software? Right. And the beautiful thing about human biology is it responds so quickly. It doesn't take weeks or months. Literally within days, you can change your biology very quickly. Well, I think this is amazing. So in terms of the bad software, if you mm. will, or the bad inputs, mm. Um, some of the research I've, I've done it, it, it is extremely alarming in terms of pre-di- pre-diabetes, yeah. which is largely based seemingly on lifestyle and, and, and bad inputs. Yeah. And I mean, I just read an article saying that there are as many as you know, 500 million people, you were, I know you live in China, potentially half the Chinese population could be pre-diabetic. Yeah. And whether that's well, there's well over, well over a billion people around the world who are uh, pre-diabetic. So this this is uh, an epidemic of our time. So yeah. in terms of the negative inputs, I know you've written about sugar and, and mm-hmm. a huge break. Well, I don't know, a huge breakthrough, but now the labeling at least is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But but the food pyramid as well. I mean, I remember as a kid. I mean, I, I grew up in a public school, and there was a food pyramid. Yeah. And now that was just. And that you remember what altered. the food pyramid said? Yeah. The food pyramid was like. Eat six to eleven servings of bread, right. rice, cereal, and pasta a day. Yes. And fats and oils only sparingly at the tippy top. Right. right. So we were told to eat a lot of refined carbs. I mean, 6 to 11 servings of cereal yeah. and bread a day, that's a problem. It's so a huge problem. Now, now we know the biology of insulin resistance. And when that recommendation was made, we thought fat was bad. There was some very poor epidemiologic data that correlated fat and heart disease. Uh, but it was correlation, not causation. Right. Didn't prove cause and effect. It was an association. It's like every day the sun wakes up and I wake up. It doesn't mean that I cause the sun to wake up, but it's 100% correlation. Right. And in the data from the original studies, they went back and looked at it, and sugar was much more highly correlated with actually heart disease than, than fat in those studies. Yes. But the government, the food industry, the scientific associations all jumped on the bandwagon and created the worst obesity and diabetes epidemic in the history of the human race. Uh, and I think they're culpable for the, the sort of lack of, of um, diligence around looking at the data because there was enough data to call those theories into question at the time. And now there's overwhelming data. And this is the first time in the 2015 dietary guidelines that fat has been eliminated as a nutrient to restrict. Up until this new dietary guidelines in 2015, all the previous guidelines said cut fat. Reduce right. total fat to prevent heart disease and obesity. Now they've said there's no reason to eliminate fat, and even they said there's no reason to eliminate cholesterol anymore. Yeah. So you can go ahead and eat eggs. And for the first time, they said reduce added sugars. Now they were supposed to say reduce sugar sweetened beverages, 
but the food lobby was so powerful. And those the guidelines are undergoing a revision of their of their process. Uh, Congress has mandated the, the Institute of Medicine revise the process by which we develop dietary guidelines because there's corruption in there. Sure. Because, Some very powerful interests yeah, have significant right. agendas around things that may not be actually ideal That's right. for our health. That's yeah. right. I mean, if the scientists who recommend to the government the dietary guideline policies say we should limit sugar-sweetened beverages, but the final policy says reduce added sugars, mm-hmm. you know you know who's behind that. Yes, certainly. Well, so I know you just wrote a book actually about healthy fats, mm. um, and actually healthy fats being crucial, mm-hmm. and I, your brain is largely fat, so obviously mm-hmm. I know it's going to be crucial for brain health, but what what are some of the ways in which I think people we, people have been taught, like, you know, many people taught that, you know, it's about calories and calorie restriction, mm-hmm. and, you know, you should... You should limit your amount of fats, yeah. and and I know, as I've as I've researched this with my father, you know he's on statins, you know, to lower yeah. cholesterol. Which yeah, which statins. Uh, I mean, there's been new data that statins cause neurologic issues, neurocognitive deficits, and in fact, one of the findings has been, and this is pretty frightening, is that it increases amyloid. Mm. Amyloid which is the plaque that builds up yeah. when you cause all. So, so statins literally increase the production of the very thing that causes Alzheimer's. So if I have a patient who's got dementia, that's the first thing I do is take them off the statin. Yeah. And, I, and I think that fat is a powerful fuel for the brain. Uh, in fact, we know that people who have very irritated brains with epilepsy, yes. refractory ep- epilepsy, seizures, where they don't respond to any medication. The only thing that works for these people is putting them on a ketogenic diet, which means 70 or 80% fat, almost no carbohydrate. And that literally cures their seizures. Now, we're using the same kind of approach in brain cancer, in Alzheimer's patients, in autism, and we're seeing remarkable results. Uh, in fact, I have a patient with dementia who was declining, and I, I, I put her on an aggressive dietary intervention, said, let's try this and see what happens. She literally woke up. She was like, mind cleared up. And we use special types of fat, like MCT oil, which is a preferred fuel for brain cells and mitochondria. So we can get really smart about how we fuel the brain with fat, but fat is critical for the brain. It's 60% fat, and most of it's omega-3 fats. And I've seen you know, cases of people on very, very low-fat diets that have depression, cognitive impairment, memory issues. Uh, it's really critical. So what are the, I mean, coconut oil I know is, is uh, a great source of fat for the brain. What are some other other sources, food sources for fats that you really recommend? Well, I think, you know, the, there's, there's, there's sort of the good fat, yep. there's the bad fat, and then there's the questionable in-between fats, right? So the bad fats, everybody agrees. These are trans fat. They've been banned, basically banned by the FDA. They've been ruled as a not safe to eat substance. So they're going to be out of the food supply, or they're still in there for a while. And that's easy. Everybody agrees about that. The good fats, also everybody agrees about. Mm-hmm. Everybody agrees that omega-3 fats are good, fish oil. Everybody agrees pretty much, not everybody, but almost everybody, that olive oil mm-hmm. and nuts and seeds are good fats. Avocados, those are monounsaturated fats, and those are good, healthy, plant-based fats. Mm-hmm. Where the controversy comes in is saturated fat and refined vegetable oils. And I think... There's some real shifts, seismic shifts in our understanding of these. And I think there's still, you know, very big separations in different scientific communities about this. But for years, we've been told to cut saturated fat, that saturated fat hurts you, that you should eat more vegetable oils. But the truth is, we've been eating saturated fat forever. In fact, breast milk 
is 25% saturated fat. <laughs> it's the main fat in breast milk. So yes. if it was so bad for us, why would we be feeding our newborns saturated fat in high concentrations? Right? The government says less than 10% of your diet should be saturated fat. But as a baby, you're having 25% of your diet as saturated fat, right? Yes. And you do that supposedly for two years for most, most of human history. And, and I and, read also the, the breast milk also helps with the microbiome in terms yeah, of diversity. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, refined vegetable oils, the omega-6 oils, uh, we used to get in nuts and seeds yeah. in a relatively small amounts. But now they've increased in production and we have a thousand-fold increase in soybean oil. There's, uh, I think, 18 billion pounds of soybean oil that are, uh, or gallons of soybean oil that are consumed every year. It's 10% of our calories. And there's research out of the NIH that this increase in omega-6 oils has led to increases in suicide and homicide, violence because of how it affects the brain. And the lack of omega-3s combined with the high omega-6s has had really serious adverse consequences. Um, you know, getting a little deeper into it, I think there's been some questionable research, interpretation of the research around omega-6 and omega-3. So when I took a deep dive and looked at this, because I, I wanted to know, and I think you know, I had a superficial understanding, probably deeper than most, but I, I really didn't dig down and read all the papers, but I literally took stacks of papers this big and read through them trying to figure deep. out what does the data actually show. And scientists group poly and saturated fats into a category and say they are better for us than saturated fat. But what they're referring to is omega-3 and omega-6s. When you separate out the studies that just looked at omega-6s, they actually created an increased risk of heart attacks. Mm. They were more inflammatory and they had more adverse consequences compared to the ones that included both. So the omega-3s kind of neutralized some of the bad effects. And then there was a recent study that was interesting. It was done by Ansel Keys, who was the scientist who promoted the diet-heart hypothesis that saturated fat causes heart attacks by his seven country study where he looked at these correlations that I mentioned. And he wanted to prove it in a randomized controlled trial, so which creates proof of concept. You know, the, the, the associations are helpful to guide the next step of research. So he wanted to do the next step, which was a randomized controlled trial where you take half the people, you put them on saturated fat, and half the people, you put them on vegetable oil, and you see what happens. Right. And they did this study called the Minnesota Coronary Experiment, which would never be able to be done now because it was done on hospitalized uh, patients with mental illness. Mm. So they basically were captive. Yeah. And they wouldn't go through any institutional ethics review board at this point. Oh, my God. And they looked at what happened. So they fed half of them saturated fat, half of them vegetable oil. And the ones who had the vegetable oil had lowered their LDL cholesterol the most. But the ones who had the LDL lowered the most on the vegetable oil, had the most heart attacks and deaths. Hmm. These were based on autopsy studies. And people say, oh, people who are sick, they have lower LDL because they're sick and thin. No, they had weights on these people. They had all the measurements on these people because they were hospitalized patients. Sure. And so the evidence is pretty strong that randomized trials of saturated fat versus vegetable oil, the saturated fat, actually, people did better. Uh, there's a large review I just read recently that found that those people who had the higher intakes of saturated fat had the lowest intakes of stroke. Another large study looked at over 3,000 people over 15 years looking at blood levels of fat rather than just taking a dietary history. And they found those with the highest levels of dairy fat, essentially butter in your blood, 
had the lowest risk of diabetes by about 40 to 50 percent. So this emerging body of evidence is just becoming clearer and clearer that our old ideas are breaking down yes. and new ideas are emerging. And you know, for people listening, it's probably confusing because you're like, well, what about, you know, we're told butter's bad and eggs are bad. And right, it's like, right. I'm just going to give up because these guys don't know what they're talking about. And they keep changing <laughs> yeah. their mind every five minutes. Yeah, it'd be frustrating. And it's frustrating. But you know, science evolves and we learn more and more about the biology of how these things affect us. And and as we begin to understand that it's not just about calories, it's about information, we begin to say, well, what's the quality of the information? So next time you take a bite of food, I want you to think about what is the quality of the information I'm putting in here? Is it good quality or bad quality? Mm. I mean, you wouldn't put crappy gas in your car. No. Right? You would, it's a great analogy. Yeah. You know, no. it's like... <laughs> yeah. If you want to drive, if, if you're you driving, want a high drive, performance car, you don't <laughs> yeah. put, you know, you don't put, yeah. you know, kerosene in your gas tank. Definitely not. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so basically, if you equate food with information, and really are looking at, you want to live a high performance life. Yeah. It really is about uh, putting high performance yeah. fuel or food yeah. medicine into your body. So, what are some of the resources that people could can access to really tap into if they want to deep dive into this? I mean, I know you. I've written a dozen books. Yeah, I mean, you've written, you've written a, just just a few. Um, I mean, the truth was, you know, my brain was really broken, and yeah. I had to fix it, and I had to use a whole host of different interventions to fix it, and. It's allowed me to function at a very high level. Yeah, I've written a dozen books since then. I mean, you look great. I don't know how old you are, but like, I mean, I hope uh, I'm I, 56. I, I, you're a couple years ahead of me, so I, I hope that I'm looking as yeah. good at your yeah. age uh, as yeah. you are. So you must be doing. Some, I mean, obviously, you're doing some things right. Yeah, I I practice on myself what I tell my patients because I want to feel good. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's not about a narcissistic desire to look good or feel good, right? It's about being able to show up in your life fully, yes. to be present, yes. to connect with those you love, to do the work that matters to you, to be able to fully be in your experience, whatever that is. Mm. Uh, you were talking about your dad, how he's happy all the time now because he yes. doesn't know about the past or the future, and yeah, uh, most the of us. beliefs are gone. Right. I mean, so and most of us actually live in that construct of, you know worry about the past, fear of the future, and we miss the moment. Yeah. And so part of that has to do with disordered brain chemistry. Mm. And I think our brains are not these disembodied structures that sit on top of our shoulders. They're integrally connected to everything that's happening. And one of the worst things that we learned in medical school was that the brain has this separation. Mm. That there's something called the blood-brain barrier to which nothing can get through. So it's this self-contained entity, right. but it's not. The brain responds to all sorts of things. In fact, the blood-brain barrier is not impermeable. There's things that get in and out, and it can break down, just like your gut. You can get a leaky gut, you can get a leaky brain. And that causes all these things. What causes we, leaky brain? Uh, poor diet, sugar, stress, environmental toxins, infections, so food allergens, gluten, all these things can create a leaky brain. And inflammation in the brain, you don't have the same pain receptors, right? right? I mean, so when you, you don't actually know, right. like you have a if you if you if you if you hit your knee really right. badly, it swells up, right? right? Or if you you know right. you have a hangover, you know you have a hangover, right? But your brain, if it's inflamed, you don't necessarily no. know. No, no. I mean, the 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 brain has no way to say ouch, except yeah. to be depressed, to have ADD, to have memory issues, to have mood issues, anxiety, cognitive impairment. These things are really, really critical because you know they'll give you clues about what's happening. I always say 
your body affects your brain just like your brain affects your body. So there's a mind-body effect, but there's also a body-mind effect. Mm. And if you want to wake up and fully be in your experience, you might as well load the deck by fixing the things that you can, right? If you're B12 deficient or your thyroid's not working or your mercury poison or your gut floor is a mess or you're gluten sensitive and you've got brain, basically brain allergies, your brain's not going to be working. You can meditate six ways to Sunday and, yeah. you know, it's not going to work very well. How does well. one find that out? I mean, I think there's so much confusion around yeah. how you actually, because you, like you said, actually you can, what I, what this I, is taking authority and agency. I mean, what I health. suggest is uh, for people to do resets. Like, yeah. you know, like I said, wouldn't it be nice if you could turn your body back to its original factory settings? Yeah. Right? Wouldn't that Absolutely. be great? If you could hit the reset button like I'm your in. computer, it's just, <laughs> so I've written, you know, through functional medicine, we, we do this clinically, and I've been doing this for decades on tens of thousands of patients, and I've written books about it, like, for example, the 10-day detox diet. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be a diet. It's not meant to be a 10-day anything. It's meant to be essentially a quick window to get people to see the potential of what they could feel like. Right, how close they are to feeling good. It doesn't take a long time. Like I said, it doesn't take weeks or months, literally days. You can change your brain. You can change your biology. And you can see by taking out the things that are harmful inputs, all the things that we're addicted to, sugar, alcohol, caffeine, cutting stress a little bit, sleeping a little more, moving a little bit, and eating real food, mm. and taking out food sensitivities and allergens, all the things that are... And I mean, none of those things may be a problem for everybody. I mean, some, sure. like for example, some people tolerate caffeine, some tolerate alcohol, some people can eat gluten and it's not a problem. But I sort of hit the a level set for everybody. Yeah. And then you get to see, how do you feel? So you make elimination. So yeah. A little bit of an elimination so that you reset. Eliminate and also element. adding in things. Okay. So you're adding in very nutrient-dense food. Food that's anti-inflammatory, food that helps reset your gut flora, and you do this in a very delicious, yummy way. That's not about starving or cutting calories. Or, I mean, in fact, I, I didn't even realize this when I wrote the ten-day detox. But it's actually a fifty percent fat diet, and people were just dropping a hundred pounds on this thing. And I was like, "Whoa, this is really <laughs> remarkable." Added bonus, yeah, yeah, because we cut out all the things that you know create weight gain, right? We talked about fat before, but uh, you know. The whole issue of fat having more calories than carbs and protein, that's why we should cut out fat to lose weight, doesn't make any biological sense because weight loss is not a math problem. Right. Metabolism is not a math problem. It's a hormonal problem. And when you eat certain foods, it creates hormones that make you hungry, yes. that slow your metabolism, that make you store fat, like sugar and anything that raises your sugar, like flour or any often even grains, will drive increases in sugar that then increase insulin and then causes the fat fertilizer effect. Whereas fat does all the opposite. It cuts your hunger, it speeds your metabolism, it liberates fat from your fat cells, and it fuels your brain, increases your energy. So, I mean, I, I had fat for breakfast this morning. <laughs> and my brain feels sharp and clear. If I had pancakes and a bagel, I'd be like nodding off right now. Yeah. And I, you know. I've noticed that. I've noticed that myself, like going from, because I grew up in the Midwest, so Heartland, you know, grew up. And it, it, it's hard because there is an emotional, there's an emotional resonance with certain foods. So one mm. of the struggles that I have. Yeah, I'm Jewish. I grew up on bagels and cream Yeah, cake. exactly. <laughs> I mean, when I go back to New York, first place I want to hit is Burry's Bagels. But that said, I have seen the consequence. And my and, and now, interestingly, my, you know, my folks, who I've been very intentional with since, since this dementia diagnosis, are really making some 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 measured changes, but mm-hmm. it, it is interesting because literally it's gone to my mom having to you know neighbors they you, you know people express themselves also you know go to the kids next door's birthday party and it's 
tons of sugar and cake and candy and you know and that's in you know Halloween I mean it's it's embedded into our culture yeah. so what are some of the ways or what have you found to be successful ways of actually incorporating it in um, to your diet but but also being able to handle some of the social or cultural norms yeah. that, that that try to come at you um, and maybe throw you off course I my mother said to me the other day she said Mark you know she, she like went home to Florida for the winter and she gained like 20 pounds. I'm like, mom, what is going on? You know, you're, <laughs> yeah. you just, you can't do this. You're 86 years old. You need to take care of yourself because she's struggling and she can't breathe and she can't walk and yeah. she's getting sicker. And she said, well, my social life is going out to eat. You know, that's, that's what we do. I'm like, I said, yeah, mom, I travel 50% of the time and the last month I've eaten at home twice. I eat three meals a day on the road. Yeah. And there's a way to do it. Yeah. You know, you have to be smart about what you're doing. You have to plan a little bit. You have to bring some food with you. You have to know how to navigate and hunt and gather in your environment. But it's doable for most people. But yeah, we live in a food carnival. Yeah. We live in a food carnival, and, and it's like a nutritional wasteland out there. And if you're out and about, uh, it's easier to make the wrong choice than the right choice. But it's it's possible by just a little bit of planning and education. I mean, if you're if you're actually wanting to get somewhere, we now have a GPS system that we use in our phone. Right. We used to use a map, but... Imagine, you know, landing somewhere in New York City or in Chicago or in Boston and, like, just trying to get from one place to another and not having a clue of how to get there. You're going to get lost. You're going to take forever. You're going to get into trouble. You're going to be late. Sure. As opposed to having, you know, a clear roadmap of how you do this. You know, you plan your trip. You know, you, you go to Europe, you're getting your plane ticket. You know where you're staying in your hotel. You know, you've researched the places you want to visit, the restaurants you might want to go to, the things you want to see. Yeah. Right. So before you get on a plane, you maybe bring some snacks with you. You're not just ordering whatever you find at right. the airport. Et right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, let's. If you if you if you're willing, I'd love to actually do a little bit of a deeper dive, specifically because I know we mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit before, mm-hmm. um, into brain health. Because I know yeah. you you have a you have a book that I can't actually wait to read that you just shared with me um, around the mind and you know peak mind really was uh, for me was a catalyst to. How can we how can we support people in taking care of their brains and, mm-hmm. and not just in the physiological sense, but also like you said, our our brains aren't this sort of just elevated you know piece of matter that sits in our head, but it is actually kind of the the road. It is our navigation system for life. So, mm-hmm. what are what are some of the ways that you you feel we can really be be intentional around having the healthiest brains we can, so that we can you know, age properly and, and live the most exceptional lives possible. Well, here, here's the good news, right? Yeah. If you want to have a healthy brain, it's not different than if you want to prevent cancer or heart disease or diabetes or any other myriad health issue, right? Yeah. It's not like there's one diet that prevents Alzheimer's, but that causes cancer, or a diet that prevents cancer, but that diet causes heart disease. Right. And if you eat that diet, it prevents heart disease, but it causes diabetes, right? That would be crazy, right? right? There's some basic fundamental principles of how to operate our human biology. And it's, it's not that complicated. It's eating real food, yes. right? And Ask, what do you mean by real food? So, so I have a rule. Like I, I, I created this program uh, with some other docs and Rick Warren at this church uh, in Saddleback, uh, California, um, called, called the Daniel Plan, after Daniel from the Bible who resisted the king's temptation of rich food. And it's about how do you use community to help create healthier lives together? Mm-hmm. How do you work together to get healthy, right? Because I would say getting healthy is a team sport. And... You know, I, I try to explain the principles of nutrition to this church, and I said, well, it's really quite simple. You know, you leave the food that man made, and you eat the food that God made. Did God make a Twinkie? Probably not. Yes. Did God make an avocado? 
Yes. Probably, right? <laughs> you know, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's not the, the God. So leave the God, that packages. Yeah, did God make, you know, soybean oil? No. Did yes. he make um, fish oil from fish? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think it's really thinking about what we're eating and how many steps and processes it had to get there from field to fork is a good cognitive exercise. And uh, also eating foods that are much lower in sugar and starch, very powerful. So if you're a farmer in China and you are in the rice paddies 12 hours a day, you can eat more carbohydrate. You can tolerate it. Um, But now, I mean, I, I remember being in China 20 years ago or even 30 years ago, in order to cut a board, they literally had to use a saw from a log like this. In order to grind grain, they had to walk in circles with stone mills you know, that's a very different life than we live. And we can't tolerate the amounts of starch that we eat. And even historically, we never had grains. Uh, we never had beans. We had nuts and seeds. We had berries. We had various plant foods we could find in foliage that we would eat. And we had animal foods that we ate, seafood or right. wild animals. That was our diet for millions, millions of years. Right? Yes. And, and all of a sudden, in the last 10,000, we developed agriculture. In the last 100, we've developed industrial food, which is something that we've never consumed, ever. So I, I think, it, I, I basically ask myself, is this food? Yeah. You know, is this food, is this not food? I mean, what is it? And if you can't recognize it as food, I would, I would not eat it. Uh, and then that's a really foundational principle. Yeah. Um, and food that's more plant-based in the sense that we should be eating a lot of colorful vegetables and some fruit. And why? Because uh, there's, they're full of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, nutrients that are regulating all sorts of biological processes. So there's a, something I call symbiotic phytoadaptation, which is this idea that we've developed in concert with our environment. So, for example, humans and guinea pigs are the only ones that can't synthesize vitamin C. Hmm. We need to get it from our environment, right? Because our biology is lazy. Yeah. But we've developed all sorts of uses for chemicals. For example, glucosinolates and broccoli and those foods... They actually upregulate glutathione and detoxification. Catechins that are in green tea, they help to get rid of heavy metals. Um, curcumin regulates anti-inflammatory properties in the body. So there's all sorts of uses that our body does. Rather than having to rely only on our own biology, we rely on plant foods and these compounds. And also, even in animal foods, there's compounds that are very helpful, like CLA in butter or, or in meat, in mm. grass-fed meat, which is a t- type of fat that can improve metabolism or prevent cancer. So I think we, we kind of you can use food as medicine. Love that. And, and if you understand what you're eating as medicine, then it changes what you're doing, right? Yeah, I saw a TED Talk, which you, you, I'm sure you've seen, uh, and I don't recall the exact diagnosis, but I think it was MS, where this woman had basically been yeah. wheelchair-bound. Yeah, Terry Walls. Yeah, yeah Terry she, Walls. Yeah, and was, with that radical diet shift, literally was walking yeah. and riding a horse. But she's she used functional medicine. She's a functional medicine doctor. That yeah. was functional medicine. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to actually link that up. That was one of the most profound things I've seen. Yeah. Um, well, Dr. Hyman, I will say it's it's... Absolutely incredible connecting with you. Uh, you are uh, a treasure trove of knowledge. I, I hope to uh, continue this conversation. I want to leave with kind of one sort of final question for now. Mm. Um, and first, I want to actually acknowledge you for all the work you're doing. I mean, I think I have been lost, honestly, in in a sea of uh, of despair when the when the person you love most on the planet is uh, is struggling and not knowing where to go, and then actually getting quite 
contradictory advice from a lot of the established mm -hmm. medical profession is, is mm -hmm. a challenge. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of what you are sharing with functional medicine has been a real, um, a real relief for myself and, and I know it will be for, for mm -hmm. um, you know, people around the world. So I want to acknowledge you for the work you're doing and pioneering um, around functional medicine. I guess the one thing I would say, someone asked me a question that, that was really amazing for me, which is if you could add one thing to your life and take one thing away to have the mm -hmm. most profound transformational impact on your life, what mm -hmm. would that be? I would take away um, pharmacologic doses of sugar. Mm. What's a pharmacologic dose? Anything more than like 20 teaspoons a year, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much everything. You know, it's a recreational drug, yeah. right? It's used it occasionally, sparingly as a treat, but not three times a day, yeah. which we have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So getting rid of sugar and starch in the volumes that we eat is, is probably the single most important thing you can do to prevent heart attacks, cancer, dementia, diabetes, obesity, pretty much all chronic age-related diseases that are impacting us here and, and globally. Yeah. Um, and the thing you would add is basically real, whole food. I love it. I'm on it. Well, thank you, Dr. Hyman. Mm -hmm. I uh, very much appreciate your time and look forward to more. Thank you. And there you have it. Uh, incredible conversation with Dr. Mark Hyman. Please uh, register for his uh, series, Broken Brain. It's free. It's hyperlinked in the uh, episode show notes below. I could not recommend it more. I gifted it to my mother. Um, it's, I've watched it. I've rewatched it. It's one of the most informative series that is relevant for all of us because our brain is our way in which we navigate the world. And it is so invaluable to get information. I mean, really, we're at the forefront of brain science and Dr. Hyman is in many ways leading the charge as it relates to functional medicine and a lot of the preventative behaviors uh, that we can that we can take frankly to prevent cognitive decline and really to optimize our our brains uh, through health nutrition lifestyle so could not recommend it more broken brain check the link below it starts the 3rd of April and um, if you enjoyed the show, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, ratings and reviews are profoundly helpful. And uh, go ahead and, and comment below with what you garnered uh, from the episode. And tag uh, Dr. Mark Hyman and myself at Michael Trainer, letting us know uh, what insights you garnered. Your feedback means the world to me. This is all about building a community and adding value to the community through uh, some of the leading thought leaders uh, of our time. So without, without further ado, please go down and check out Broken Brain. It is uh, a life-changing series, um, and I could not recommend it more. With that, please go out there and live your inspired life. <laughs>